This Week in HPC. New fabrics and chips. A wrap-up from SC15. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening in to another special episode of This Week in HPC from the SC15 conference in Austin, Texas. This Week in HPC is brought to you in partnership with our friends at Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. We're with Intersect 360 Research. Michael, we're getting to the end of the show here. We're done. We're done. It's, it's finally quieting down after a very active, busy show. I can't believe this show. I love it every year, Michael, but this seemed to be the highest energy show I can remember. Yeah, I mean, they had almost, or maybe they even exceeded 13,000, and it had very close to it by the end of the show, and maybe they they bumped over that, but there were a lot of people, and we saw on the exhibition floor it was crowded every single day of the week, uh, basically from opening to closing. Right up to the final buzzer, there was crowded wall to wall in the show floor until yep. the voice of God overhead finally <laughs> says, alright, supercomputing's over, time to get out. A big big round of applause going up around the whole convention center. Really very high energy, and, and I heard that from multiple people. Yeah, uh, definitely a lot of people very interested in, in looking around at, on the show floor and just, uh, like you said, a lot of energy. And as such, I, there was also a lot of new announcements around the show, as usual, and I think there's too many for us to get them all in one <laughs> podcast wrap-up, but let's hit a couple of the top ones that we know a lot of people were talking about, starting with there were two competing announcements, Intel's launch of OmniPath and Mellanox also launching Switch IB2, these 100 gigabit per second products. These are two high-performance uh, fabrics that are going to go head-to-head against each other in high-performance computing. Right. There's a little asymmetry here, not just in the technologies, but in, in the announcements themselves. I mean, Mellanox actually announced this last week. They've got the Switch IB2 switches out. Uh, they're, they're already on systems on the top 500, but uh, the OmniPath thing is was launched, but they won't be in production until uh, early in 2016. But yeah, like you said, they are going to go head-to-head next year, and uh, they're at the same uh, line rate of 100 gigabits per second. So this is the first real competition Mellanox has had in several years in HPC. All right. Well, so we're going to have to take a look at this ongoing OmniPath versus InfiniBand debate, and this is something that we're going to have many chances to talk about because yeah. it is going to be heady competition. Before we get into the particulars, I will say one thing that strikes me about it is that really with its heritage in TrueScale and QLogic before that, that OmniPath does have its roots in InfiniBand. So that to say OmniPath versus InfiniBand, to me it feels a little bit like Linux versus Unix. Like you know, Linux, in a sense, was a spin-off of Unix, is a right. kind of Unix. This is a kind of high-performance fabric that was based on InfiniBand at some base level. Yeah, I, w- I would say that's true to some extent, but actually we, we don't know the the actual internals of OmniPath. So we don't know how much of the original DNA of InfiniBand is in there. It might be no more than we see in like uh, an RDMA over Ethernet on the other side. It might be as different as that, but but you're right in that these came from the same source, and, and now they're diverging, and now, yeah, like you said, we have sort of the Linux-Unix split, and I think they'll, they'll evolve apart, and maybe 
become even more differentiated. Well, let's go ahead and dive into the compare and contrast since we've got 200 gigabit a second interconnects. Let's start with Mellanox because those are the ones we've talked about a lot before. What's new in the Switch IB2? Well, the newest thing in, in the Switch IB2 is something they're calling uh, offload collective communications. So things like MPI and SHMAM, they have these collective communication functions that uh, uh, right now are, are offloaded on the uh, the NIC or were offloaded on the NIC. And now they've actually offloaded that to the Switch where it can right. sort of do some good. I mean, this is the collective stuff, so they can do that at the Switch level. And that takes a lot off of... Uh, the, the CPU or the or the NIC um, and improves, improves performance of the application because of that. And they're getting very good initial results on some things because of that, on obviously MPI-type applications in general here. And uh, they, they see a, a big uh, performance boost just because of what they've done there. You know, it occurs to me that with a lot of the Mellanox innovations that we've seen in Infin, their most recent InfiniBand versions, that with the offloading or things like multi-host, what you're seeing from Mellanox is here's our reasons why you want to move things off the chip for greater efficiency. Right, right. And, you know, that's got to be in anticipation of what Intel's going to be doing by integrating more things onto the chip with OmniPath, which is also compelling to say we're going to build this tighter into the compute, we're going to optimize everything. So let's take a look at OmniPath coming out. This is part of Intel's whole scalable system framework concept, which is sort of a Right. philosophy that they're developing toward Exascale. There's a lot that goes underneath that, and OmniPath is part of it. Right. I mean, that's one of the components of the Scalable System Framework, and they're, they're filling that in, and, and here they've put the uh, the fabric part into that, and that, that's OmniPath. But yeah, they've, they've come up with this, and they've talked about their new dense 48-port switch, which, uh, you know, if they pull this off, that'll mean less switches, less infrastructure there, and lower power, because now you've got a lot more servers that can be served by a single switch uh, than you can typically get in some of these clusters. So they're they're trumpeting that. And they're also talking, Intel's also talking about higher performance and somewhat lower latency compared to uh, InfiniBand, but we'll see how that works out in uh, in the field in real-life applications. But they, they and, think and also varying configuration and configuration, right? right? I mean, exactly. you get, when you do your own data sheet, you get to pick whatever configuration you want. Exactly. So it, it, it all depends on, on what you're putting together and what your application is. But at least I think they're, they're sort of laying it down. They think they're on par or better than uh, InfiniBand in this sense. And then they have, uh, you know, these other advantages of OmniPath that they're touting, including eventually, you know, integrated OmniPath uh, adapters on the chip, although they didn't talk about that much at, uh, at this launch here. Well, there are, there are, as you pointed out, a, a set of features that they're talking about with OmniPath, and uh, some of them are familiar, we're familiar with, some of them are, are maybe newer, starting with adaptive routing and dispersive routing. These are terms that we've already come to be familiar with, and if there are slight differences in the actual implementation, I, I think we can just say adaptive routing, dispersive routing. These are things we've been familiar with before. Sure. Then we get into traffic flow optimization, which is really a quality of service metric that allows for containerized prioritization of packets going across the, the network, where any p 
piece of a packet could be labeled as high priority so that having a bunch of lower priority traffic on your on your network doesn't necessarily slow down your high priority traffic at all. You can just keep that optimized, maintain a standard quality of service. Intel also talking about packet integrity protection, so you know if you have any errors on your network, and something called dynamic lane scaling, which allows individual lanes to be dropped out without shutting down an entire switch if you lose a lane. Uh, that's something that they're talking about as a big advantage. They don't have to reboot that part of a network. So they're clearly moving along toward this idea of the intelligent fabrics that, are, that, that we've been seeing before. This is now Mellanox is talking about smart switches right. and very similar lingo, you know, all the way down. Right, and, and Mellanox has been doing, been doing this sophisticated feature feature uh, uh, inside their switches for a long time, and then uh, it looks like you know Intel is ramping up very quickly in the sophistication department. Now we'll just see, you know, how they match up. I mean, Mellanox does have this sort of head start uh, since they've been doing this so long, but uh, Intel's definitely made a big effort here, and they've come up with what looks like a, a very uh, viable platform for right. fabrics. And one last thing Intel has mentioned is the open source nature of a lot of the software associated with OmniPath, which to me, in my mind, is tied to their open HPC initiative that we've yes. already talked about, where they get more of their community involved in the ongoing stewardship of this into the future. Absolutely, and I think that's kind of key since OmniPath is, is a new fabric, and I think they have to make it very friendly to the community. They can't have a, a proprietary fabric that, that's not open in some sense uh, coming into the into a very mature ecosystem like this. Now, of course, OmniPath wasn't the only announcement we got from Intel. They had some other news around Knight's Landing, which we've been waiting for. Yeah, actually, the Knight's Landing was sort of a non-announcement. They Originally, we were supposed to have the Knight's Landing uh, chips by now. Uh, we were hoping to see them in some of the top systems, but uh, that effort got pushed back somewhat into 2016. But what we do see is some pre-production Knight's Landing chips appearing on a few systems, uh, actually four systems, one at the, in, in France at CEA, the French Atomic uh, Energy Organization, and then a couple at the VOE. Uh, These are Cray systems that are not really deployed yet, but they have some pre-production Xeon 5s in them. Um, Sandia, I think, has some deployed. And right? then uh, Sandia, there's a there's a Penguin system. Penguin Computing System has some pre-production. Uh, uh, nice landing chips uh, for Sandia. So there are these chips out there, but the general availability isn't going to come until the first half of of 2016. And actually, there's there's even some question. I've been hearing things like some of these, at least some of the SKUs, won't come until uh, much later in 2016. We might not see the the integrated. Uh, uh, 3D memory until maybe later, but we'll see how it plays out. They are looking to do general availability sometime next year, and then we'll see a lot more deployments and uh, some head-to-head -head competition with what uh, NVIDIA will produce from the GPU side. Right. I, I think that's why it's important to have this uh, launch as, as part of the, the this announcement here at the show, because even though the general availability is delayed, accelerated computing was such a dominant theme this week. We seem to be talking yeah. about an awful lot. It's all over the place, and if Knight's Landing hadn't been part of that conversation, they'd be even farther behind. Right, right. I mean, we did see, you know, we had the, the, the pre-announcements by NVIDIA last week on the machine learning GPUs from uh, from them that they put out in the field. And then we saw this week, we should mention, you know, Xilinx has, has come up uh, into the HPC 
uh, arena with the announcement, the collaboration with IBM, and their move into a more prominent position, let's shall we say, in the in the Open Power Consortium, and they're getting a lot more attention. They were very active here, and they had a, a couple of other announcements. So uh, Xilinx looks like it has a much higher profile now uh, for acceleration, and uh, they're putting some effort into that. that. Right. That, the seeing Xilinx as a platinum member now in the Open Power Foundation did not surprise me at all after right. Intel's announced acquisition of Altera. So we're really seeing a lot of dominant FPGA uh, factoring into to both sides, the Open HP and Open Power, which was another, uh, I think, big conversation people were having a lot. We don't need to rehash too much on the podcast. We already talked about it uh, a little bit here. But then even that is not all the chip news. You were picking up a whole bunch of stuff on ARM. Yeah, I mean, the ARM stuff was, I mean, there was the press release, certainly from Cavium and their partners. Uh, they, they were talking about their, their current Thunder X uh, 64-bit ARM uh, that's now being picked up by a number of different uh, OEMs and system vendors. And remember last year, Cray sort of picked them up for to, to play with those, the Cavium chips for their their ARM effort um, that they're working on research and development, but also Penguin, E4, Gigabyte, uh, and one or two others have picked up those chips, and they're starting to, to look at end users, starting to ship some some of these systems to uh, for people to kick the tires on, smaller systems, not, not big systems, but uh, the Thunder X is actually starting to appear out in the field now for those interested in playing with the uh, 64-bit ARM technology in HPC, and Cavian's been very active, and they're, they're working uh, on the software stack now uh, quite a bit, uh, and they seem to be sort of out in front. They're sort of forming their own uh, ARM ecosystem to get uh, to get the chips and the server uh, community ready for for this new architecture. You said an important phrase there, behind the scenes. I think that's exactly right. There wasn't a whole lot of huge buzz about ARM during the show, but I think there was important work going on here. And this is a wild card that's out there that, you know, if in five years we have some kind of robust ARM ecosystem here, that could really change the dynamics of our industry. It could, and, and there's. I think it's an odd situation in a way. The, I think the community is sort of more interested in in trying out this, this new architecture than the actual server vendors, maybe even the chip vendors to some degree, are are looking to put these things out there. I mean, it's sort of a chicken and egg problem always when you when you have these new technologies, but. Uh, I think there's there's been some opportunistic uh, you know development now that people these arm vendors do see the interest in the community about the, this new architecture and we should also mention Applied Micro one of the first 64-bit arm vendors they're already talking up their next generation uh, X Gene platform the X Gene 3 which is going to be this big 32 core you know more performant version of arm um, and that's going to be attracting a lot of uh, some of the HPC folk as well. That's uh, a much bigger arm chip than they've had in the past. They're looking at uh, some multiple performance uh, of that compared to their second generation platform. So that seems to be developing rapidly in, uh, at least in Cavium and Applied Micro, and we're going to see others join. I mean, we, I think we talked a little bit about Qualcomm joining the field. They weren't here, but uh, I think well, 2016, we're going to see that, that ecosystem move along. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Now, we, we got through a lot of the fabric stuff. We got through a lot of the chip stuff. There's more product announcements I want to get into. I want to get into the Bull Sequana. I want to get into some of the storage announcements, like from Seagate and DDN. Uh, we're going to have to save those for a future podcast, but uh, when we wrap up SC15, 
seen here. One thing I always like is when you when you have a meeting and you get into something that was cooler than you realized it was yeah. going to be. It's a great thing about our industry. Michael, what was your gee whiz moment this week? So, uh, one company that I'd never heard of before, but I just happened to be passing by and, and uh, got clued into was a company called DataVision. And what they're doing is essentially unstructured search and correlation of all sorts of unstructured data. So that can be anything from images to video to text to audio, uh, anything that's sort of unstructured. And what they do is they will find correlations from, uh, let's say, an image to another image. Uh, not, not image recognition, but like they'll say, if you have, have a picture of a certain car, uh, they will find that car in a much larger picture or even in a video. Um, and you can imagine what this is being used for, and I think some of their early, uh, their early customers out there with three-letter agencies and some of the defense and security type of uh, applications. But to see the demonstration of this was really amazing. Like they took a picture of uh, like three different cars from three different angles, and they were able to find uh, these three cars together. So you could do like logical operations. You know, this this image plus this image plus this image together in another image from a different angle. And they were amazingly accurate, and it just looked like magic to me. That's, that's amazing. It's a huge game of Where's Waldo. Yeah, and and the other thing, exactly, and the other thing they were comparing it to, like uh, you know, the Google image uh, image search when you when you feed an image to Google and they'll try and find other images there. They sort of compared it to that, and they came up. Uh, quite well compared to that. They, they had much better image uh, correlation than what is available from the, the Googleplex. So that, again, was impressive. It, it was just uh, sort of mind-boggling how, how sophisticated these algorithms must have been. And like I said, it's not just images. It's, it's basically any type of signal or text or any type of unstructured data to do all sorts of correlation and, and graph analysis on. That's so, cool. Yeah, that was very cool. That's a G whiz. That is. That was a G whiz. It got. It got my G whiz. So how about you? You, you see anything that uh, piqued your interest? You know, I, I did. For me, my G whiz was something that's been around a long time, but I'd never had a behind-the-scenes tour of Cynet, the network that powers supercomputing. I've been aware for a long time that it's an extraordinarily high bandwidth network that has to get laid in for the show. But you know, uh, I had a meeting with Reservoir Labs, which does some of the security components for Cynet, and they arranged for Alan Comike to take Laura Siegerval and myself back into the fishbowl that's there off the show floor and get some of the ins and outs of the Cynet. And I just hadn't spent enough time appreciating the amount of work that goes into that. Yeah, I mean, Cynet is a huge infrastructure that they do this every year. I mean, the amazing thing to me is they, they, they put it together, basically, you know, in real time, they put together this huge network infrastructure before the show and you know it, it usually it works like a charm and it's it's something that a company would spend you know several months putting together and they do it very rapidly and uh, you know for myriad organizations here and it seems to work flawlessly well I'll tell you it does take several months the planning for next year's sign that is probably going to start maybe next weekend or so right. it, they start charting out how they're going to do this in next year's convention center very early on they got to lay in nearly 100 miles of fiber coming in, and it gets dispersed all over the place. The actual components, of course, they can't put in the week before because it's a convention center that has other conventions in 
shipment. So they start pre-shipping everything in. They assemble it all in a storage room, turn it on, make sure it works. And then once it's our turn to have the convention center, they've got to undo all the trunks, load it up, and, and then sort of forklift it in in as big a chunk as you can, put it up on that stage, cable it back together again. It's, it's really huge. The one other component that I hadn't appreciated before was the security that's involved in it. The, they get consistently DDoS attacks, denial of service attacks, coming primarily into the show, trying to knock it down. But also, they said regularly, they see DDoS attacks originating inside the show to leave from the show, and even occasionally lateral attacks from within the show to within the show, and they need to shut them all down. That That is amazing. I didn't know that was going on. I mean, you figure, okay, who... Who in this uh, in this community would be would be uh, engaged in that, and then who in the outside community would want to, you know, uh, attack that? But I mean, it's so ubiquitous. Dude. Yeah, I guess the, the theory is any large enough bazaar is going to attract its share of thieves, yeah. right? But I just did it. That, those security aspects had never occurred to me before, nor had the enormous operational challenge of installing not only the whole network, but you had to wait until the right. convention center's ours, and then you got to do it all immediately. Right. The logistics of that is mind-boggling, and they do it every year, and, it, it, and the technology gets better every year, so it's, it, it's just this escalating challenge. So thanks to Reservoir Labs and Alan Comike uh, in specific for that. That was my gee whiz of the week. But overall, I think the whole week was a gee whiz for me. I, I love supercomputing every year, but this one uh, really seemed hot. It was. I wish we could, in a sense, take two or three weeks to see everything and then really get a feel for. I'd never survive, man. Yeah, we never survived. But yeah, it was it was a great show. We'll be catching up. Maybe in the weeks ahead, we'll try to recap some of the, the things we didn't talk about in context of what uh, the other news is going on. But uh, Yeah, I think we're not so. done talking about this yet, but for now, we'll sign off from Austin. We'll go back to our home offices. We'll do an early episode of This Week in HPC next week before we get into the American Thanksgiving holiday. And then you and I are both going to be back on the road again. I've yep. got the Society for High Performance Computing a Professionals event in Houston. You're going to Africa to South the CA. HCP conference that I went to last year it was a lot of fun, and you get to go this year, so I hope you'll enjoy that. Looking forward to it immensely, yep. So we're not done on the year yet, and you've got more coming to you from uh, Supercomputing 15, but for now we're going to sign off from Austin. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Supercomputing in Austin, Texas. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 